Hey, it's Demi and welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Crisis Podcast. Today I chat with Dane, who is a content marketer that moved from a small town in the UK called Hull to our gorgeous city of Melbourne. Dane's story is a roller coaster ride to say the least. He shares his story of transitioning from female to male, how he ended up living in a glamping tent during lockdown, and how now in his 30s he has come into his own and that he's never too late to make a change. Dane's story is going to inspire you to be unapologetically yourself and I cannot wait for you to listen to this episode of the podcast. So let's jump straight into episode 56 of the podcast, The Importance of Being Authentically Yourself. Dane, thank you so much for joining me on the Millennial Crisis podcast today. I am so bloody excited to have you on. My pleasure. I have been, I think, actually, how did we, it was through the Millennial Crisis community, right? Heard a little bit about your experience through COVID. And then I was like, I need to hear more about this. <laughs> Plus your Instagram looked like the most fun ever. And I was like, I need to speak to him ASAP. Yeah, I think I, I came across um, a TikTok that you put out and uh, I think it was when you was having the first gathering um, that wasn't virtual and uh, I was so keen to go and um, I didn't end up coming. I can't remember what reason as to why, but I didn't make it. And then, yeah, just sticking around, following and um, I saw your stories about uh, someone's TikTok, like a model had gone away and deleted everyone off social media and um went to go live in the wild and came back a brand new person I think he was asking for people's opinions about that and I was like oh I kind of have something similar but it was an accidental situation <laughs> yes uh, today we're really going to talk through all of that so I guess for anyone um that's joining now let's dive into um the intro questions that I start the millennial crisis with. And um, I hope you won't judge me on these introductory questions. I always ask these, what is your name, age, and what do you do or what are you known for? Okay, so my name's Dane. I'm turning 31 this month. And what I do is, I guess like job-wise, is I'm a content creator for I've worked for like loads of different brands and stuff but right now um I work for a really awesome agency and I guess like if you're one of my 97 followers on TikTok you might know that I'd try and make any song as depressing as possible on the acoustic guitar (laughs) in my personal time amazing I love that oh I wish I had the um like the discipline to learn an instrument I say that's going to be a thing for my 40s like I have a thing that I want to do in each like age bracket what does make sense? What does make sense? Um, yeah. <laughs> right? I'll be like a cool mom with like an electric guitar. Like, <laughs> I feel like 40s is more like saxophone. You've got to like go a bit old. <laughs> Come on. 40s is young now. Don't say, yeah, Dane, you're going to be eating your words in a bit. You're going to be eating your words in a bit. years I will be. You're, you're a content creator and you moved here from... Yeah, I lived in a small city back in the UK called Hull. For anyone who has heard of it um, and has been, I would ask why. There's like no reason to go. And for anyone who's like thinking of going to the UK, don't go to Hull. It's just, there's not a lot going on. So I moved out of Hull, I think when I was 26, I moved to London. And then that's where yeah, I moved to Melbourne from, um, I think May, tw- May 2019, I think it was. Amazing. And it hasn't been the easiest ride for you yeah <laughs> it wasn't what I was it? expecting <laughs> um, um no it hasn't <laughs> yeah I think this whole season is all about people living life on on their own terms and being the truest to themselves and I think the interesting thing about your story is you embody that in one way so much like you making these uh, and we'll get into your story in a bit but making all of these decisions, risking and sacrificing a lot to be and live your truest self and your best life for you. And then also being forced into situations where your hands were literally tied in life, getting in the way of that, which is the reason I want you on because I think a lot of the time we hear these stories of um, change and growth and all of this stuff and 
people forget that life still happens. And even when you are on these growth journeys, like shit's going to get thrown at you all the time. You're going to be like, this is so unfair. And it's like, well, <laughs> that's COVID for you. <laughs> that's life for you. That's <laughs> And so, yeah, I'm, I'm so honored and excited to have you on because I do, your story is so touching and um, I'm so excited for people to hear it. Yeah. So I think like off the bat, just to bring up, I think where this, these words of change and, and, and stuff is, is coming from is I'm um, transgender. So growing up in Hull, I was a very different person. I was born female and, and then transitioned, I think at the age of 26. So as I said, I moved to London round about when I was like 25 or something and growing up in Hull it was it was difficult to be around just really narrow-minded people and to be brought up to also I guess be narrow-minded like my parents and grandparents were not open like my entire family were just really close-minded and so knowing that this part of myself was there it was repressed so much even when I did eventually come out I couldn't even say the word trans. I thought it was like a, you know, the worst thing ever. And I always thought, you know, how, how am I going to be able to come out to these people? Because, you know, I'm going to disappoint everybody. Looking back now, it seems absolute nonsense because I'm so proud of who I am now. But yeah, growing up in, in, in Hull, it was, it was difficult. And all like, as you know, all, all, all my friends were female and just feeling like I'm the odd one out. And knowing everybody knows some like there's something going on here, like that I wasn't happy. It was yeah, like going through university and everything that like you should be experiencing through your your wild times of 18, which is not, I guess, how I would have liked to have lived. Um, so it's a weird thing to think back on. I feel like I've forgotten so much of it because I live so authentically now, and it's it seems really cliche to say like I'm authentic, but like I'm actually living each day presenting to people the way I feel internally so yeah it's 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 odd to think back to Hull because it's just a very different person yeah I, I I couldn't imagine that experience for you and what that was like and I think for the people listening I know that there's a lot of people within the community that have either grown up in quite conservative families or are still in those kinds of environments where maybe it wasn't as as huge life decision as as what you were saying that you were living as somebody that was not yourself some people might be making choices in in other ways of their life that's not aligning with who they are as a person and i know a lot of people and and myself included that when you do make decisions that aren't aligned with who you are or making decisions on who you think you should be because of everybody around you it can really fuck you up (laughs) like it can get you one a little kooky how do I think so differently to these people and two miserable because you're seeing your life flash before your eyes of what the future is going to look like and that there is no at that time you're probably feeling like there's no way out because of the community you're surrounded by that don't understand what you're going through or have never experienced that. So how did you start coming out of that in terms of taking those first few steps to be like, you know what, like I need to start living authentically Mm. like myself and make this transition. I think, um, again, really cliche, but I had to, I had to be okay with it first. Like I knew since I was 11 years old and there's so many signs to be like, Oh, okay. That's, interesting that you know that's how I behaved when I was four years old and on like going way way back but at 11 I knew from just watching reality tv that it was possible for um someone born male to live as a female and I had no idea it could be the other way around and there was this groundbreaking moment of watching a contestant go on to big brother and uh they said Luke was born female and I was like whoa what that can and I, I remember googling like as soon as I could um how that can like how and there was this website and because like going way back to before the internet was how it is now it's just this long website of texts and words and diagrams of surgeries and I was just like oh whoa okay like close this down this is too much so I, I knew how I was feeling but there was no nothing to show me how you know there's nothing I, I could relate to until YouTube came along and then people who had been in a similar situation to me 
who'd come out as trans and living presenting more masculine I watched their their vlogs and going from the very beginning of how they came out and then how they are now and how happy they appeared I was like okay like this is how I feel the way this person has explained this I'm like I get it I I can relate to that so this must be what it is because I definitely know being female isn't what's right and I don't know how it is to be male but I can at least try I can see how that's going to be. And the more I came around to the idea of um, acknowledging that this might be something, um, I started testing the water with friends and family. So I remember when Caitlyn Jenner um, had announced um, that they were transitioning. I was like, oh, mum, like Caitlyn Jenner, have you you seen this? And she was like, oh, I don't really get it because like they're just so old now. And I was like, you'll never get it. And it was like a proper teenager like response. And like ran out the door and went for a walk and I was so angry and I came back and I remember the look she gave me to be like, I know why you're upset, but you need to be the one to sort of acknowledge this is, is how I felt. I've not, I've not like confirmed whether that was the case, but I definitely felt a sense of she knew something was up and friends were one night talking about if they could get surgery. And as I said, all my friends were girls. So they were like, oh, I might get like bigger boobs. Or like, I'd like to go. And then they, they asked me and I was like, oh yeah, probably like just get rid of my boobs and they were like what like smaller I'm like nah just get rid of them and then (laughs) there was this awkward silence and they they tell me now they were like we knew but we needed you to tell us like we wasn't going to be the ones there and I was like oh I'd need like I was needing you to ask me because I just couldn't find the words like this would change everything is how I was like yeah picturing how things were going to go like so I remember the first time I did tell someone and we'd had a like a big group of, of my friends would just had an, an all day drinking session. It was really silly from like midday to me and my like closest friend at, at, at the time, um, a guy, we just carried on drinking um, until three in the morning. And then we was talking about a friend of ours who did psychology. And I was like, he thinks he knows everything about me, but he doesn't. And my friend was like, what is it he doesn't know? I was like, I'll tell you tomorrow. And he was like, no, you're going to tell me now. Like, what, what? I was like, nah, I'll tell you tomorrow. And he's like, you're not going to tell me tomorrow. Tell me now what's going on. And I just like sobbed and just said, I don't think I'm a girl. And that's the only way I could phrase it. And then he was so nice and sat down with me. And I showed him all the YouTube videos that I'd been watching in, in privacy. And then um, he was like, I was like, you're not going to tell anyone, are you? And he, he didn't. He just waited for me to start slowly telling more people. And it, it did take a few drunken conversations. I remember being in a club. And uh, a friend of mine actually turned to me and she was like, what is going on? And then um, I, I said it. And then everyone was like, they're having such deep chats over there. Like, what is going on? And then eventually told family members, like close um, cousins. And they were like, do your mom and dad know? And I was like, nah, I'm going to tell them. And it kind of got to a point where I'd had, because back in the UK, the NHS is so difficult. The, the waiting list is just too long. And um, I knew I'd have to go privately. So at the time I, I was living in London, I'd, I'd been working at McDonald's for about seven years and I always wanted to be a video editor and I just thought, how is that going to happen? How is like me and Hull going to break into this media industry? Um, and I, I got really lucky. I got into this internship with Channel 4 and one thing led to another where I was just given my dream job working for this really cool YouTube channel um, called SBTV, who um, just like they discovered Ed Sheeran and was filming Jesse J and filming those of grime and rap artists and uh I was like, oh, this is this is like the dream. Like, I, I aspired to the guy who founded that company, and I was going off during uni and filming any bands that was coming to play in Hull. So I was like, I've, I've made it. Like, I'm I'm now going to be happy. And just knowing that, like, living in London, it was so lonely. I was just living with this woman whose husband was working abroad, and she was like my only friend. This forty year old woman, and I was just so lonely. It was the first thing I think about as well in the morning before coming out this was and then the last thing I think about at night and the only way I could really sleep was picturing like that if if my female self was to not exist anymore and for some reason I died but I had this power to come back as me and turn up to the funeral and make friends with all my friends and like you know make sure my mum was still somewhat in my life that's the only way I could sort of perp and I guess it just got so bad in London and when it came to the point of thinking um like I, I remember reading something and it said, um, because like to just to, just to be blunt, like I, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to live. I was like, I can't live in this body. Like I've got the dream job. I'm living in London and still like, I'm never gonna, never gonna fit in. Something's not right. 
read someone who had come out as trans and gone through the process and said what helped them was being told you know imagine your gravestone still says your old name and then no one's going to know you like at least give this a shot and then that's when it kind of like opened me up to think wow like, that's so true like I, that's not how I want to you know if I was to get run over by a bus tomorrow it's not what I want people to, to remember me as because like they don't even know the half of me and a lot of my friends said that I was like such a, a closed book that when I did come out they were like so nice to talk to you about stuff like and ask you questions and so I'd kind of thought well I'm I, I can't go on the NHS the waiting list is too long I have to go privately so if I move back home live with my parents again um, I'm going to be able to afford to save up for this 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 process and um because it is super expensive um like I've, I'm still paying off a loan today for my top surgery I've moved back to Hull my job SBTV still let me work from home and there was like we don't want to lose you so you can carry on working from us just come into the office once once a week kind of thing so that was all good and I was saving up money so that, a big reason that I live in Melbourne is a really close friend of mine called Lydia lives out here she'd recently come back to Hull for a visit and was talking about how like the work-life balance out here was just so much better and she was saying how much you pay on rent in London and was comparing our lifestyles and to go out for dinner in London you feel you're going to be in debt for like the next month. Like you, like that was just a stupid thing to do. Whereas she was like, Oh, I go out like three, three times a week for, for dinner. I was like, Whoa, what is this Melbourne life? Like it sounds dreamy. That first person I came out to then gradually telling more and more friends, the money that I was saving up, I stupidly at last minute decided to go to New York to go see Mumford and Sons. And all my friends were like, right. Okay. Um, thought you were saving money, but cool. Go, go have fun. Um, and then my friend Lydia was like, oh, if ever Mumford & Sons can play in Melbourne, you're going to have to come over here. There's no excuse, Mr. Miss Spontaneous back then. <laughs> I was just like, yeah, all right then. Next day, Mumford & Sons announced that they're going to play Melbourne. So she messages me. She's like, this is meant to be. You're going to have to come to visit Melbourne now. So I did. And then credit cards, like just paid off the flight on my credit card. And before I was going to go see her, I knew all our friends were like mutuals. So. I knew everybody else knew, but she didn't yet. So I like messaged her. I was like, hey, before I come visit next month, I need to tell you something. And she was like, all right, it's a bit, bit serious, but okay. And then hopped on a FaceTime and she said like my hand was shaking. And I told her in the way, like the only way I could like wear it properly. And she was like, okay, that's awesome. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool. Like, and I was like still panicking. Like the entire three flights it took, like 52 hours travel. I was like, how am I going to like, how is this going to go? I came here and I brought it up first and she was like, oh, such a relief you've, you've brought it up and we, you know, she's asking questions and stuff like that. And then I was only out here for a week and I think like halfway through the week, we'd gone out for drinks and she said, so what's the next step? And like, you're going to tell your mum and dad. And I was like, oh, like, you know, I'm going to go privately. So I need to get an appointment with a private doctor. It's 280 pounds and I'm just like saving up right now. Obviously, I've just come to visit you. And she's like, what the hell did you visit me for? You should be spending money on that. Like, why did you not pay for that? And I was like, oh, and she said, look, like, I'll pay for your appointment. And I was like, oh, I was thinking she, she's drunk. She's like, just saying it because just didn't think anything of it. And then when I came back to Hull, caught up with her mum and dad, who were like parents to all of our friends. And they was asking like how the trip was and stuff like that. And then as, as I was leaving, um, Lydia's mum grabbed me and she was like, oh, Lydia wants me to give you this. And it was an envelope and I thought it's going to be some letter of some sort and in there was 280 pounds and she was like we we know what's going on like you need to like sp spend this money or what you need to spend it on it and if you don't Lydia will not speak to you again kind of thing like you know she doesn't want it back she wants you to spend this on something that's going to help you start to like live as you and I was just like oh my gosh so I felt good that I had like sort of parent figures to sort of who knew what what was going on and I'd, like there was now a a ticking time a way of being it like now I can book this appointment so now I'm gonna to have to tell my mum and dad like this is coming up like I've booked it in I think this was November and I've booked the appointment for January so New Year's Eve told family members at our big celebration and then was, I, my mum's birthday was the 3rd of January so I was like I can't tell her it's a birthday so I'll wait until the 4th and then her dog bloody died and I was like oh shit like I knew this appointment's coming up on I think like the 9th of uh, January and I kept wanting to tell her and um, she basically, uh, like every time I go into her room, I was going to say it and going to tell her, 
and I just couldn't. And I'd go into her ensuite and just like go into an anxiety panic and go back to my bedroom. And I was like, I'm going to have to write a letter. This is how it's going to have to be. I didn't want to do that. It felt cliche, but I, just to find the right words was just not happening. So I wrote this letter and I thought next time she comes to my room, I'm going to give her it. And she came in my room for some like nonsense reason about like looking for laundry items or something. And I just took out this, this letter and I was like, you need to read this. And she sat down and read it and she was like, I don't, I don't understand. Oh, right. And then this, the first thing she said to me was like, you're not, you're not a lesbian though, are you? And I was like, <laughs> uh, I kind of wish, like, cause you know, I, I did know that I liked girls, but even that was something I just couldn't explore. Cause I was like, if, if a girl liked me, then they like a girl, but I don't feel like a girl. So even that side of life was just so confusing and never got a chance to date. So it was just so like, you know, don't want to mess people around and don't want to mess my, my own heart around. Like I was just falling for straight girls left, right and center. It was So I was like, no, that's, that's not the case. And I think when it comes to coming out, when it's your sexuality, it's kind of like people, that's, that's a huge thing. You know, people are going to have to come around to the idea that maybe you're going to bring around a boyfriend instead of a girlfriend or girlfriend instead of a boyfriend kind of thing. And whereas coming out as trans, it's like you get all these questions, but you don't have that answers yourself. Like I have no idea what's about to happen kind of thing. I just know I have to at least like try this and, yeah, after I had my appointment and then three rounds of um, therapy sessions and then had surgery, um, top surgery, which was the best day of my life. And then started going on to hormone treatment. And yeah, I think I've been on hormones now for like, kept count. I have no idea how many years I've been on it. But um, yeah, that's uh, that's what whole <laughs> was like life before Melbourne wow. kind of thing. Yeah. Wow. What a roller coaster ride, right? And if somebody can get through something like that and come out the other side and live every day as authentically you as you can, it's so lovely. And I know you're still going to have your regular life ups and downs and stuff like that, but I assume that they're so different now than they ever were because at least you know now that, I mean, this is you, you know, and yeah, this is yeah. us life and this is how things go it's yeah it's amazing I think um after all, all that side of things like I did move back to London and you know got a brand new job and at the time I hadn't started the testosterone I hadn't had surgery but I knew surgery was coming up and I was being shown around this office to six floors of people and being introduced to people I'm like oh gosh like I have to come out to all these people eventually they're, mm. they're, they're gonna know and like the, the the workplace were awesome about it when it came around to saying, hey, I've got this surgery coming up. Like, can I speak to my manager about it? And sat down with my manager and she says, like, she got out her diary and asked when surgery was. And I was like, oh, uh, 21st of September. And she's like, right, okay, yeah, cool. Anything else you want to talk about? And I was like, oh, back to the surgery. And she was like, no, you don't have to disclose anything. I was like, no, I think I do. Like, I think <laughs> I have to tell you what's, what I'm doing. And so I, was, and I told her and this is like literally way off my shoulder feeling of like, okay, that's done. And then if you want to tell everyone whilst I'm away and, so still at this point, I was living in Hull, but coming into the office for this new London job twice a week, um, just because they didn't have a desk for me. And it was like, if you're happy to work from home, then do that. So um, eventually did move to London with this job. And uh, I was, even though I was like living authentically, I was starting this process of, of becoming, becoming Dane, I guess. Like, I still didn't know who I was. It was a weird feeling of, not wanting to change anything else. I felt like I'd changed enough. Um, and uh, I didn't want to like, you know, I wanted to keep all my friends back home and didn't want to, you know, I've already put this strain on my parents that, you know, now if someone asked them, how, how's your, your daughter's doing? And they have to go, oh, actually, <laughs> daughter and son and kind of thing. Like I just wanted to stay, you know, I was like, oh, I'm still going to like the same old boy bands. I'm still going to play acoustic guitar and make songs depressing. Don't worry, like I'm still me. Um, so I just like was felt still that thing that you sort of describing about he's not living authentically kind of thing and everything's mm -hmm. just kind of like day, day by day and then I met this person who um just started working um where I was working at, at the time and she'd stroll in this like cool um hipster gal uh called called Georgie and um I was just like mesmerized I was like this human I already know she'd been through tragic things in, in her life I'm like she comes in and she's ridden how many miles for, like to get to work and if maybe if I start riding my bike and like oh what, what is it you're doing after work Georgie she's like oh, I'm gonna yoga and I'm going to this DJ night in the weekend I'm like I should start doing that and I just 
like morphed into the boy version of hair. Like I was so put hair up on this pedestal that I became like thinking I was becoming someone thinking, okay, this is who Dane is, but I was just morphed into her personality and we both eventually was going to move to Melbourne. So um, I kind of, before moving to Melbourne was in one of the worst places I've ever been in. I was just so like, like it felt like an identity crisis of just not knowing who I was without Georgie. And we were living together, sharing a room. Like she had the big princess bed in the corner. I was on a futon on the floor just so we could save up for, um, for moving to, to our Melbourne. And we both followed each other job, job to job. And if she was doing something without me, I couldn't cope. I was like, well, what, what, what do I do? And then she had to go home one weekend and she wrote me a list of things to do. She was like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go to this brunch spot. You're going to order this because you'll like it. And that's how much she knew me. And like, but I still didn't know myself. And just the thought of, you know, talking about what Melbourne life was going to be like, and, you know, we wasn't going to live together. I was like, oh my God, like, what, what am I going to do about um, this, this person? Like, so when she did move out here, I just fell back into old habits of, always wanted to be doing things with her even though I had other people around me like London I just sacked off everybody I was like no I'm gonna hang out with Georgie like like all the time it was really really bad it was toxic for our friendship and like bless her she's still like in my life and I took her for a roller coaster of just you know she'd have to leave the room and I'd be crying like hysterically like just not in a good place like suffering depression anxiety and the main reason that was happening was because um going privately I was getting my dose of testosterone and it was expensive, but that private doctor had to shut his practice. He was basically being sued because someone said, Hey, you told me this is, you know, gender dysphoria and I've had this surgery and, and then I don't think this is right. So I'm going to sue you. So he, he shut his, his practice and to try and get testosterone, I went to the NHS and I was like, Hey, I need this um, hormone in my body. Um, I could like not getting it. I can see there's a hormone imbalance, which is mm. one of the big like causes of depression and like, just doing my research, I knew this is why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling. And I was getting told by the NHS, okay, we're well, going to have to join a waiting list. I'm like, but I've already spoke to a private doctor, but I've, and I've already been on this. Like, can you just, why can you not prescribe me? And they said, well, we need, you need to see a specialist. I'm like, oh, wow. So they gave me um, pills for depression and that took away my personality. And then I was coming off them and knowing I wasn't doing myself any favors, but I was like, just, yeah, it, it was just a, a, a weird time of feeling so let down by a service in the UK that is meant to be free to everybody. But it just felt like you, you just completely left behind. And I was using websites to try and get testosterone that were really dodgy websites. Like you have to say that you were born male and tick boxes for like erectile dysfunction. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, like if I, have to, <laughs> I have to tick this box to like somehow get this. And so it was just one month I had it, next month I didn't. So I knew... I was spiraling because something internally was not right. Like the, the science set of hormones were just all over the place. So moving out to Melbourne, like that was such an easy process just to go to a doctor that my friend said is really good. And then he prescribed me testosterone and just said to go to chemist warehouse down the road. And I'm like, <laughs> what is this magical kingdom chemist warehouse? That's just going to give me testosterone and went in and with a slip. I think they're going to ask for a passport and ask for like, but no, I just got I was like, what the freaking hell? It was cheaper and it was like, I was given five months worth. And I'm like, what? Well, okay, this is one huge reason why I need to stick in Melbourne. Like, it's just, you know, the, the communities out here feel a lot more close and a lot more together. So however I felt in London and just like the friendship groups I've got out here as well and being able to get testosterone has just been a reason why I've been so determined to stick in Melbourne. But then that became what felt like mission impossible there's so much to your story and and i do really want to get to the the melbourne part but before before we get to that i want to ask you something because i know a lot of people that are listening like have this feeling where there's like aspects of our lives where we feel like we're behind in because we compare it to other people and you've you were living as you know, a stranger essentially for 26 years. And then mm. like, how old were you where, where you got to a point where you were like, okay, this is Dane. I think it's just now, it has been yeah, during been... COVID. It's yeah. been such a sad time for a lot of people. Whereas for me, it was like a complete, you know, I, I needed this to happen. I was yeah. like, I never known who I was going to be or who, or who I am. And it was just needing isolation, 
needing to be by myself. I'd always relied on somebody else. Like since coming out as Dane, it was always just doing what other people were doing. And that thing again, of I, I was just always such a people pleaser. And I think it just, it just could, I think like it comes down to something that happened in my life. And it's something I just didn't speak about for so long, but it just really just like threw me is after coming out as trans, there was a lot of like family things going on family life wasn't healthy and this is another big reason why I've wanted to stay in Melbourne is because the thought of having to go back home is just you know I absolutely love my mum and she's an angel but like my dad is just toxic and I thought oh my gosh like when things did happen the way they did during COVID and losing a job and um, which I'm, I'll go into but the thought of that I was like gosh because after coming out as trans and dealing with all this like internal shame and thinking what what's going to happen like I my like my what's my granddad gonna think and how's my mum gonna tell her dad and all this stuff that I was thinking about like weirdly my granddad took it the best like my mum couldn't tell him face to face and got one of the sisters to do it and he was like well if that's what he wants to do everyone else's response like whoa granddad like and he like he's he's since um passed away but his thoughts like I'd be watching TV and he'd say something about someone on TV and I'd be like, that's not cool, granddad. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, standard, just say what, standard, standard old generation yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, yeah, like, a lot of things was was going on and um, it was Christmas Day that, like, was, like, asking people to call me Dane and everything was still, like, really early days in, in into my transition. Like it sounds like just such a bumpy ride. And, and it, I think the really like interesting thing about your story is going through all these things. And then I guess like turning 30 during that COVID time and being isolated and all of that stuff. Like a lot of us have this fear of being behind, but it sounds like for you now, like it's you're coming into yourself finally. And, and is that excitement like what, removes that feeling of like oh I've come here at 30 or do you still have those feelings of like oh I wish this happened so much earlier I can't believe it took so long for this to happen or I mean with with everything sad that has happened through this roller coaster I I really like to think that I can't really live with any regret and it's it, it can be quite a bad frame of mind to yeah again compare myself to other people's journey and looking on youtube now or even tiktok and you see as as a trans person you see people who are so young that are just living their best life at 19 and you're like oh you know i wonder what i'd have been like um but it, it it's only that it's easier to sort of celebrate it and be like well thank god like other people are doing that a lot more earlier because I just don't think there's anything I could have done I just wasn't I can't regret because I was never going to be as brave as I, as I was before I was like everything had to happen the way it did um that yeah now being 30 and I guess a huge part of that was COVID and having that pause button to be like okay now works at a halt because it doesn't exist um you just got to can't and yeah, like everything was taken away in terms of luxuries and for so many, but I literally was like <laughs> taken away from all luxuries. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I think, you know what I, I think is is really cool? One tiny thing you can do to help somebody feel comfortable, feel like they can live their most authentic life and it does not affect anything for you really like it's so important for us to do those things all of these tiny things like the way your friends reacted your grandfather's words like i'm sure all of those tiny little things that people did just really helped you take that next step forward which i think is just so important for everyone to remember and reflect on is that like what can you do to make sure people feel like they can be their most authentic selves. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's such a... It's I think like the, the, the other side of that as well is like even the, the little things of um, not saying comments that could stop someone living their authentic self as well. Like equally as, as much as I think to some of my friends' reactions, the things that did maybe stop me and being like, okay, I'm ready to maybe say something and then be like, oh, no, I'm not. Um, I had like a... Um, when I did go to New York, there was this old woman 
sat at a bar and uh, on the TV was Caitlyn Jenner. The like news was reporting it. And she, this old woman had just made friends with this Irish couple. And I was like observing what was going on. And the old lady turned to this couple and was like, what do you think of Caitlyn Jenner? And they were like, oh, well, if that's what she wants to do. And this woman's response back was just like so gross. And she did not approve, basically. And I was just sat there thinking, oh, gosh, like crawl right back in, in into my shell. And like uh, another friend of mine during university received a letter from a lecturer saying, um, this was my previous name. This is my new name. I'm now um, going from Miss to Mr. And she read this letter to us um, before like a night out or something. And uh, she was like, can you believe this? Like, isn't that weird? And I was sat there thinking, oh, no, it's not. It's not. But like, now how am I supposed to? But um, I, I would never, you know, blame those events. But I think definitely it's it's something now where the littlest thing you can overhear in a, in a cafe, like you're having your coffee sat by yourself, you could hear a conversation and be like, oh. Uh, this goes into a whole other thing but uh, i just think it's it's crazy how people make things that don't affect their lives at all their problem mm. you know <laughs> and and again like it's it's easy for us for people to say you know oh just brush them away ignore them but how how can you when this is such a heavy thing that you're carrying with you and like you said you're thinking about it all day in the morning at night like that you're consumed by this you know? I, I used to get like jealous I'd be like I wish I didn't understand how how it feels like I wish I could be you know it's it's weird now to think about it but I was jealous of their ignorance and like wishing I could not feel like this but now it's it feels like you know it's such a thing to sort of celebrate now For sure. um, but at, at the time yeah I'd be like oh I guess for me as well like I, I can look at people like that and think okay like by living your life most, most authentically and being open-minded and all of these other things, never judging people in that, you grow so much further, so much quicker than those people where you see them almost like cap themselves as a person. Like mm. they don't change, they don't grow. And if you go back to that feeling of, of beat, feeling behind, which is what a lot of like our community feels in the millennial crisis, there's that, that feeling of, of stuckness or feeling as though it's too late to make a choice in in any area of their lives the one place you can kind of compare is like looking at people who don't change or grow you mm. know and see yeah. by not changing or taking these risks you see them when they're 50 60 and you're like why would you want to be that miserable old person that's picking a fight with the cashier yeah. <laughs> you know, you don't, you don't want to be picking a fight with the cashier. You'd rather be, you don't know, wearing cool, like crazy outfits, like in the streets or yeah. like, you know, <laughs> buying a, like, you know, whatever it is that you want to do in your, in your older ages, because you're like, yeah, I'm still living my life. And, and it doesn't matter what age I am, I'm going to continue to grow. And, um, sure. but yeah, no, let's, let's get to your, your Melbourne time. So, so tell me what happened. You're in Melbourne. COVID hits. Yeah. New place. Nobody really around you. And you're already feeling, I guess, feelings of, of loneliness and isolated and all of those things before that. So now you're finally like free and, and going through these experiences. You've got your hormones back. You're starting to get on top of things. And then and then what happens? Well, I, I just thought I was like living my best life. So I've, I've moved out here, got a really good job, starting to get like some new friends and stuff like that. And being British, the rule is you got to pick some fruit if you want to stay here for a second year or get sponsored. So my workplace was like, well, we'll sponsor you. And then I went to see um, a visa consultant and they said, we recommend you go do your, your fruit picking get your second year visa then go through the process of sponsorship with that workplace so I was like okay and then told work I'm going to be away for three months going to go pick some fruit and they were like okay strange <laughs> but if that's what you're going to do then you do that get get your second year then we'll sponsor you so that was the agreement and I was living um just off Smith Street with the best housemates um, it took it, it took took a few rounds to find a really good bunch but you know it was the kind of vibe where you, you don't want an empty house you know you want to have someone there to chat to and um things were going great went off to go do my farm work and um, picking lychees up in queensland and then uh western australia at loads of 
um, wineries picking grapes and off to the beach, you know, straight after work. And, um, but what had kind of was a panic about doing that was I was in Melbourne um, going to therapy um, just doing things to better myself because I was still in this state of like just about feeling like I was feeling better. Like, you know, the anxiety and depression was starting to be a little bit more manageable. Um, but going away to farm work, I was like, okay, I'm not going to have therapy. Um, I got my testosterone doses. So I was like, that's okay. Um, and then hopefully come back, see this as like a sort of fitness camp and I'll lose, you know, I'll come back like buff as and start dating. It'll be awesome. And then in, uh, in Margaret River, starting to hear these whispers about this um, COVID thing. And we're like, what? what's, what's, what's going on? And, and then it was said that the, the borders were about to shut. So we just, we fled Western Australia, came back to Melbourne. And I was always thinking it was going to be this big momentous occasion, have a big party and see all, all of my friends. But um, it was kind of looking like that wasn't possible. Like, you know, I, I had a friend who um, was living with, had like her dad had come across from the UK to visit for their wedding and they got stuck here and he was just recovering from cancer. So they were really like, oh, we can't, you know, We'd, we'd want you to come visit us, but we can't. I was like, oh, I, I can't see them. Okay. And then like my other friend was having a baby and I was just like, you can't come here. I was like, oh, what, what do I do? And the, the, the job that I was meant to come back to was like, well, we're an events company. We can't run events. I'm sorry, but your job didn't exist. And, and then my housemates were like, really sorry, Dan, but like, we, we don't have another room. Like you can stay here for two nights kind of thing and figure out what you're going to do. And I was like, oh gosh, so I went to go do some volunteering Um which was way out in the middle of nowhere, New South Wales, living in a two-man tent. Um, and then that was like the realisation of thinking, I might have to go home. Like, I, that isn't even a, like how I've just spent all these months to stay in this country. This pandemic just comes and just turns everything around. And I know it wasn't like, like the worst thing to happen for a lot of people was, okay, I guess I'm going to have to just give up. But it was like, I'm going to have, like, how can I go home? And I think that's where the context of everything, like how toxic things were in the UK, it was just not possible. Like, And I did contemplate, like, you know, my, my friends were like, well, I'm going to live with my boyfriend and go, you know, like, do that. And But what are you going to do? And I was like, I I know what I'm going to do. And they were like, you no, like, that better not be what, like, you're, I was like, what, what am I supposed to do? I have nowhere to live. I have no job. Like, and I'm applying to like, you know, work at calls and anything, any job that's out there. And the Australians are going to be prioritized here. And I can't go back home, like, and live with my parents again. Like as much as I love, love my mom, like I, just the thought of the other parent, I was like, that is not going to, I can't do that. So, um, stayed with my, my old housemates for a couple of nights and they, they were like, Oh, our other housemates have to go back to New Zealand their room's free like their dad's paying their rent why don't you go stay there for a bit and maybe you just give her 50 dollars or something and I was like oh okay yeah and like luckily all the housemates living there I think there were five of them um were like yeah okay that's, that's cool so I just sat in this room for a week and like just just let myself just be alone and to to just cry and just be like this sucks and I'm just gonna absorb this feeling of okay like <laughs> I definitely, like, I just come around to a bit more logical thinking and, like, the idea of just giving up completely was becoming more like, okay, but I have all these people that I love in my life and I can't do that. How do I, like, and then just having conversations with people, they were like, it's looking like, you know, you're going to have to go home. Look, Melbourne isn't the same Melbourne anymore. You're just going to be, you know, it's not it's not gonna, ever going to be the same. Like, the romanticised idea you have, it just doesn't exist anymore. So I was like, right, okay, let's go home. And my finger was on the button to book a flight that was like $1,600. And I didn't even have, I think, like $50 in the bank because the farm work just pays so poorly that I was living paycheck to paycheck to just, you know, put petrol in the car to get the jobs and the hostels and stuff like that. So I spoke to my mom and she's like, look, we'll just figure it out. And she was paying off my loan for me during the farm work. And so I'd already like earned a, a fair bit of money and she lent me money to be able to like afford to buy a secondhand car that was completely fucked, but that's a different story. And so she was like, we'll just figure it out. And I'm like, oh my God, I owe my like $3,500 in there if I book this flight. And there was this Facebook group at the time called Adopt a Backpacker. And I was messaging people who were just like, 
just was saying, we've got, I've got a spare room. And you heard of a few horror stories, either way, like either the person whose house it was or the backpackers were sharing stories about how this is going wrong. And I was like, it seems a bit risky just to live with a complete stranger. But like, if that's my only option right now and people are willing to have someone come with them for free, then okay. Like I'll, so I applied for a few places and one of them was this woman called Merrin who had a glamping business with her husband. And she said, um, if anyone wants to come live in this glamping tent just to see through this COVID thing, so I was like, I've always wanted to go glamping. So, like, let's do it. And I, I was not a risk taker. Like, as much as, like, all my life feels like, oh, it's a lot of, like, courage and, and all that sort of stuff. But I live by the rule book. Never want to do anything that's, like, I'm not going to go on a road trip solo kind of thing. You know, I want to have a luxury five-star hotel. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, I'll have an itinerary. Like, everything's planned. And for the first time in my life, it was like, okay, there's no plan. I'm just going to have to go along with this. Like, there's no plan B right now. So got on the tram and, like, I, I remember I hung out with, with my friend that day and she's like, she's the one who ended up living with her, her, her boyfriend, she's Georgie. And, you know, I was always such the romantic that, and she was the, the nomad who loved traveling. And it felt like our lives had flipped reverse. She's, you know, getting into this serious relationship and I have to go live in a fucking tenant. <laughs> I was like, what is going on? This pandemic is really like a roller coaster right and then so hops on the tram get picked up by Merrin and um I didn't tell that I was trans like I just kept that to myself and I think a lot of the experiences that I had whilst doing my farm work for the first time I was having to hang out with men that were born male like I don't have a lot of guy friends and just to sort like I felt this anxiety like I felt like okay they think I'm this person but if I tell them this and I just got really caught up in, 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 in my head and really like shelled myself. And um, so I just, I, I think I just got into this weird state of like shame again and not feeling as proud as I thought I was of who I am. So I didn't disclose it to them. And because it was like rural Victoria, I met a, a husband, Jamie, he was like proper man's man, like only talks about beer, sport and like women. And then I like, I just found myself like, what is going on? I'm, like this tent was also like because I'd just come from a two-man tent. I was like, whoa, this is like insane. There's like an outdoor shower, there's a barbecue, and it all sounds very nice. But nine weeks later, mm. it was really taking its toll. And I was just applying for all these jobs in the tent and um thinking, how am I gonna get out of this? And uh but what I didn't know was those nine weeks were exa- exactly what I needed. I was I didn't know what I enjoy doing anymore. I didn't know who I was without my friends and who I was without my job and like didn't even have Wi-Fi kind of thing to like endlessly scroll on like this new TikTok thing that everyone was using. And I was just like living so secluded, like just completely alone. There was no one for freaking miles just in this glamping tent, brushing my teeth to the stars, like waking up to kangaroos, brushing my teeth outside and at the time, I didn't know what it was doing for me, but it was so much what I needed. Um, just being like amongst nature and having time to think and relearn who I was without anyone else to rely on. Um, yeah, it was a hectic experience, but for all the good reasons long term. But at the time, it was like it was cold, brutal, like winter, regional Victoria and um, like icy like woke in the morning, I was like dragon breath. Um, and uh, yeah, whilst I was in the tent, I applied so many jobs. And one of the jobs I applied for, um, I'd like had a bit of a stock of that Instagram account. So it's this agency called The Digital Picnic. And I just knew I'd found like my people. Like it's always been a big thing for me. And this is something Jamie couldn't really understand. I was getting a few interviews or phone interviews. And I was like, oh, I don't think it's really a good fit for me. And like one of them was this, uh, a state agent and he was like a proper like lads lad like everyone in the office was like talking about like women and I was like I had to and I was like oh I felt they were quite disrespectful to our women and they were like wow Dan's a real gentleman like but I was just not and then eventually I told them I was like this is why I need to make sure where I go next with with my job is with people that you know there's a sponsorship opportunity and also like these people are like you know like embrace diversity and mm-hmm. um just to, like I looked on this company's Instagram account and it was just like the warmest of faces, all like um, all women. 
and I was like I can just see myself like fitting in and um, I thought I'm not going to get it and it was way out of my league it was more of a paid ad sort of thing and I'm a content boy like don't understand numbers and dyslexic so I was being cheeky to apply anyway um, but like I said I was applying for anything I was planning to be a postman and I was like well I might as well give it a shot and no one had replied to my cover letters but this this founder did like Shuri who um, is the founder of Digital Picnic, was like, I'm so sorry to reject your, your application, but, um, you know, we don't see a lot of paid ads experience, but this is like the big thing here is we want to offer you to live in our office. We want to give you $1,000 to help you get back in feet. We know it's not much. And I was like, what? Like, why is this stranger want to give me? You've never met me. Like, it just blew, like, I don't understand. And, but, and I've never been one to take other people, like take anything from other people. And I just, I have to learn to be like, well that's a lot of money right now like that's not just groceries that's like that can get me into a hostel so then I came around to the idea of getting myself out of um regional Victoria getting myself out of this glamping tent because the job market seemed to be opening up and I was getting interviews and getting to them was getting a bit tricky and so I went to go live in a in a hostel in St Kilda but working there for free accommodation and um kept in touch with with Cherie and uh she kept saying to me come live in our offices there's no shower but it's got to be better than the hostel like we know you're finding it a bit rough right now and then um this like second lockdown was brewing and people in the hostel were not taking it seriously like it, it was exhausting like I was trying to sleep at night and they'd be like come on Eileen playing in the next room like room and on someone's boom speaking I'm like what is going on like and then there was one night people were knocking on your door and if you answered the door it meant the party then goes to that person's dorm room and this is like, there's, you know, lockdown's about to happen. And I just thought, I cannot do this. So I took Sheree upon her offer to live in, in the office. I did that for a couple of weeks. And I think the day I got to the office, I got an email from the hostel saying someone had got COVID. So it's like, I got out at the right time. Um, but yeah, like, I, and then one thing after the other, ended up getting a job that was just good for the time. Um, did a bit of freelance stuff and then, kept in touch with the digital picnic and eventually a job opened up that was perfect and now I work for them now and getting sponsored and everything like the last 12 months has been so surreal to look back and be like okay this time last year I was living in a tent like this time last year like this happened and how the hell did this happen like it's just I just feel like the luckiest man alive that everything worked out like in the most bizarre way wild very wild yeah it's uh, i think like the the craziest thing is it like i think COVID has really showcased like it does not matter like where you were or what you were doing because there was a lot of people that felt like you that were finally living their best life or finally had things figured out or working out the right way and then like it was like a punch in the guts like sorry yeah (laughs) bye-bye massive punch in the gut yeah yeah and then you went on this like um new journey that that I guess now like reflecting back on and from what you've said like is going to end up propelling you forward even more because of that reflection that you were able to do and and having that alone time which it seems you would you would never had before right it was always trying to grab on to someone else or feel as though you were around other people and I think the interesting thing is as well that they were the times that you felt the loneliest as well even though you were always grabbing on and and that tent experience I wonder was that I, I assumed there were elements of that loneliness for sure but did you feel more comfortable in that time like what was that side of things like yeah I think I just accepted that I am a massive introvert like mm. that alone time is so important and then then there's a little glimpse of company that I did get with like Marion if she took me out for a drive or um yeah just for like an hour catch up and then to recharge my battery and like okay this is how I actually like to spend my time is to have this alone time and then have a little glimpse of socialization and then oh I'm now like exhausted and that's something I've definitely learned through 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 COVID is like I I used to think I got my energy from people um but it's completely the opposite like I, I need alone time um but there was definitely moments of just feeling lonely. And then if I did get any mobile reception, which I had to go for a little wander to a spot where I knew I, I could get it. Um, it was weird to know what everyone else was up to and how everybody else was feeling. And I kind of felt 
in a good position because I didn't, you know, I, I couldn't just wander the, the streets that I used to walk and see how things were closed. I didn't have that, um, you know, like a lot of my friends said they just felt so sad. Mm. Whereas I wasn't in Melbourne at the time to see how it was. And I guess when I did eventually move back, I could completely relate to that feeling of everything being closed and um, seeing that side of things. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. I just used to visit this horse every day. And that was like a weird, a weird little thing. I became like friends with this horse and then read about horse therapy. Like that's a real thing. And, wow. and like getting horses to trust you. And I was just living like, I felt like such a hippie. But like, it, like, not that that's ever a bad thing, but yeah. I was just not, that was not in me to like yeah. even consider chatting to a horse to be helpful. <laughs> it's so, it's so funny you say that. Cause I think like the older I got, the more I realized like this hippie thing isn't like strange. It's like, yeah. I feel like they're onto something, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like these, the, it's the closed mindedness of like our society and how things we view are supposed to go when it's just like they're like, yeah, like you shouldn't be contained in a box all day, like <laughs> sitting behind four walls, like go out into nature, like yeah. that's the designed. Um, yeah, yeah, like I- all of that stuff. And, and it sounds like truly that's what happened. You were disconnected digitally, mm. you were, you know, sure alone with your own thoughts and stuff like that but it didn't seem as scary being alone in that situation as you were with all of these other things happening as well like disconnection in that way allowed you to reflect and I know a lot of people throughout COVID felt like that as well like it allowed you to look inwards and then realize what you want externally and then make those choices like Mm. oh actually maybe the people I was hanging around with weren't right for me and maybe I need to explore other things or maybe this workplace is actually really not great for me or whatever those things are um it's kind of cool also annoying that it had to happen in this (laughs) big way and these horrible things came out of it but um we've got to kind of try and look at the the silver lining of it all right yeah for sure that's all you can do really like so much control has been taken away um that, that the things you, you can try and control um, are so important to like really cling on to those things. For sure. 100%. Um, unfortunately, we are getting towards the end of the podcast. I feel oh. like we could, I know, I, I feel like I could ask you like a million more questions and we could be <laughs> hour seriously. But um, we are getting towards the end. Now, before we get to the challenge, I have three questions that I ask all of my guests. Cool. And the first one I have for you is, what is the first small step you took to get to where you are right now? Small step. Uh, Everything's been a big step. (laughs) I'm not really good at taking small steps. (laughs) That's okay. Um, Whatever comes to mind. The small step was just to like sigh and let go. And as much as that seems like a big step, but it was just literally like a, well, fuck it, let's just see what happens. And then <laughs> before I think that would seem like such a big thing to do, but like, that's not, that doesn't sound like like me to be like, well, fuck it, let's see what happens. But just with everything that went on, and um, yeah, I just had to be like, right, let's just go with the flow. Amazing, I love that. <laughs> and I, that's a great, that's a great step. Um, the next question I have for you is, I think this is a re- this is going to be a really good one as well. I'm interested to hear the answer. Um, what is your biggest millennial crisis right now? And I define a millennial crisis as a privilege problem that consciously or subconsciously affects your mental health and well-being. And I assume going from is it this time last year you living in a glamping tent to this year that a lot of your current problems are a little more privileged than what it was this time last year, right? Yeah, it's. It- it's so surreal to have like that perspective and then to sometimes be like, oh, come on, Dane, like you didn't even have this a year ago. Yeah. But um, I'm trying to think. Um, I think more recently, and this is, this is the first thing that kind of comes to mind, is uh, I just nipped across the roads during the lockdown um, to Coles to get some avocados. And that little thing then led me to being a tier two um person that has to go get tested and uh that is a perfect millennial crisis all i wanted was avocados and next minute i've been locked away by myself until 
a text comes through to say I haven't got COVID. Especially yeah. living on your own. Like it's not even the, like it's the prospect of thinking, fuck, what if I'm stuck in here for 14 days on my own? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think living alone as well has been a, a, a big thing on, on one side of things. I'm like, this is dreamy. I'm just like cooking my pants if I want to. And then the next time it's like, oh, I wish someone was here just to chat shit to. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm never going to be fully happy there and, and settled with one decision. Housemates all living solo. I'm always pissed off one way or the other. One way or the other. Grass is always greener. I hate that about us. Yep. <laughs> you know, one <laughs> second you're like, oh, I really want this. You get that. And you're like, you know what? I had it good before. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 100%. Oh, yeah. my God. Bluff of a, of a millennial, really. Mm-hmm. Not everyone, I think. Um, and the last question I have is what is one thing you are curious about or would like to explore? For me, it would be the dating scene, um, because it has been something within the past year that has been so new to me and I'm learning and every single day I go on, I learn something different about either what I want or what people do not want. Um, so I guess, yeah, I'm just curious how this 20... 21 post pandemic dating situation is going for everybody else because it's pretty shit <laughs> for sure. I, you know I, I love that you also you said in that like you learn so much about yourself but also about you what you like and don't like and I think like at least for me I have that same experience like you learn so much about yourself through that kind of stuff and I, yeah. and, I, and I think if you're not and if you're not looking at it in that way because people either think like oh it was a fail because they weren't right for me or it wasn't because it's not just like taking away a learning from those experiences is so like it's so worth it again same as like workplaces and all of these other things but yeah I think it's it's very interesting especially when we're in going in lockdown and coming out and going in lockdown and coming out and having that time to reflect being like do I actually like them or was I just like me seeing people for the first time again <laughs> yeah you know? like, do I want an intimate partner or yeah. like am I just really lonely <laughs> yeah is this yeah. person a one or am I just gonna die alone <laughs> no I totally and um that's very exciting that um this is a new like part of your life that you're exploring as well I think that's really fun yeah <laughs> yeah um now you've got a really good challenge and I think um it's so true to the conversations that we've had today and I think a lot of people um are going to benefit from this I think um I'll I'll let you say the challenge and we can talk a little bit about it after so um what is the challenge you would like to set for everybody this week okay so anytime I get into a bit of a grump um or yeah feeling a bit privileged about my problems or I'm stressed out about something to have that perspective now it's not going to be for everybody like not everyone can say okay a year ago today i didn't have a job and i was living in in, in in a in a tent but um i try and imagine so i go out onto, onto my balcony like I'm, I'm now very lucky to be living in an apartment by myself so go on, on, onto the balcony close my eyes and i imagine that tent in front of me and i'm like really picture everything around me and i open my eyes and i'm like okay no you're actually looking out onto the yarra river you're going to go back inside now and shut a door like I used to have a zip, like this is, this is good. Like things are okay. And then look at my bed that's got an electric blanket and I'm like, you're freezing cold this summer year. Go to my shower, like a hot shower. It's not outdoors. Even something as simple as like a kettle. I'm like, okay, I'm not having to boil water on a, on a stove. Like things are okay. Like, um, so I guess my challenge is just to next time things seem a bit shit. Like things, things are bad. No, you're going to get past that. You know, like things have been shit before. You, like your, your survival rate of everything being shit is right now 100%. Like it is going to be okay. Remember this shit time. And the next time like things are starting to you feel like similar feelings and um, getting yourself a bit down, it's just to, um, yeah, imagine that time. And like, okay, I overcame it then. Like, and I can definitely overcome this now. I think will be my challenge. Amazing. I love that. And when you were telling me about this challenge, I said, I think it's, it's a good one because as well, like, I think a lot of people, um, cause we know like gratitude is something that's really important. And I think different forms of the way things like some people don't like the journaling form of things. Some people will say it out loud and feel okay. But I think this is another form of that. And I think different people will adopt to something like this. I think it's a really, it's a really good one. So try that out this week as soon as you 
find yourself because we know these things happen on the weekly when you find yourself being like what the fuck is my life why am I here how is this happening to me um (laughs) and reflect back on those things um is it's a great it's a great thing to do so I love that well Dane thank you so so much for being so open sharing your story um like I said you're such an inspiration and I'm so glad that you made it through all of these things and have come out the other side i know it's like a crazy time in the world now but i see like this post pandemic life being that much better than what it would have been it's like that melbourne life you came here for plus some because now you've been able to do all these other internal practices and come out the other side and yeah i can't wait to see what what the next few years um, bring for you and uh thank you so much thank you